That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Well, Jake, how you doing today? You're now in the 10th week of your vacation in the Catskills. <laughs> That's right. Um, you can't pull me out. I'm, I'm embedded like a, like a Catskill deer tick So in these mountains. And so me and well, Rick Van Winkle... Of, uh, Speaking of itchy skin conditions, I did see that text you sent me of the uh, the infestation on your your uh, leg, the poison oak, or or were you uh, were you bitten by a demodog? <laughs> yeah, that's right. It it looks horrible. Maybe we should put that up on the podcast for everyone to see. But uh, I basically um, walked through a patch of poison oak. I was like doing some backcountry hiking, what I, which I like to do. And last year I was almost killed by a fly. This year I was almost killed by uh, poison oak. And so, yep, I'm hyped up on steroids, which is really exciting. I'm feeling really jacked um, and haven't slept in two days, but it's good. So we're having the best time on vacation. (laughs) And yet you keep going back year after year. What new abomination will affront me in nature? You should just stay at the Four Seasons in Manhattan. That's That's about as close to nature as you should get. How are you doing? I'm doing great. You're always looking good. Well, it's uh, it's all Botox and um, Mm. dermabrasion for me. I do the cry the cryer freeze, you know, where they sort of they freeze the fat away. That's that's oh, what I do. I thought it was an avocado peel or some one of those peels <laughs> that you do. So um, your skin always looks so baby fresh. But anyway, um, I, we digress. I bathe in the milk of seals, Jake. It's flown <laughs> down from Alaska every week. Well, you do live in Texas where they are uh, incredibly concerned for the most part with uh, the globe and everything. It's yeah, actually going to be 90. It's actually going to be 90 degrees up here, which is... Um, uh, very telling that something strange is awry. So, um, uh, you know, for years, it never really got above 75 here in the Catskills. Uh, but now um, it is on the regular around, you know, 85, 90 in the summer. And um, anyway, but that's that that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. So uh, we are talking was, about proper that 13. Close, that was close to a political <laughs> statement, Jake. And I'm glad you backed away because I am again, trying we to rein it in. I am trying to rein it in. Five listeners we would have lost. Anyways, yeah. yeah so Hosea is. And, as and you that, that represents most of them. So anyway, but uh, um, <laughs> so here you, we are. Uh, what's, what's your special? <laughs> yeah. So we're looking at uh, the eighth Sunday after Pentecost. This is going to be the first Sunday in August. Uh, so. Uh, if you've got people that are not in the Catskills or not vacationing in Colorado, is where that's where <clears> Texans go for the summer. Uh, you'll maybe have some fee- people in church, and maybe some folks that have just moved to your town who are checking mm. out your church. They're they're moving and starting a job in the fall or whatever. So that's here we right. are jumping into um, uh, the readings for Proper Thirteen. We've got Hosea eleven as we continue in these minor prophets. Uh, right. And then we will jump to Colossians, which we're working through over this season, mm-hmm. uh, St. Paul's letter to the church in Colossae, and then as we continue through the Gospel of Luke with Luke 12 and Jesus giving some estate law 
advice or actually non-advice. Um, That's right. So let's jump in with, uh, you call him Hosea, the Mexican prophet? That's right, but he's not. He's actually from uh, the northern kingdom, Israel. Um, and uh, Hosea, unlike Amos, whom we just wrapped up uh, uh Two weeks ago, Amos pro- preached to the northern kingdom, but he was from Judah. And if you recall, they were, he was told to go back uh, to his own country. That sounds familiar. But anyway, hey, he kept Jude. he kept uh, preaching. And um, and anyway, so Hosea is delivering a word to the northern kingdom. And what you need to understand here is the context. And if you go back to chapter nine and chapter ten of Hosea, you see that God is comparing the northern kingdom to several, um, you would say, familiar illustrations. God is a preacher who uses illustrations. And in chapter nine, he compares the northern kingdom to a uh, wild vineyard, and then to a, a sturdy uh, cow or a young heifer um, who is wild and um, frolicking around. And then um, here we have in Hosea chapter 11, he uh, hones it down and compares the northern kingdom of Israel to his child. And when you see Ephraim here, this is just another word for Israel. And so because Ephraim was the largest of the landowning tribes in the northern kingdom. Yeah, and, and you know, your, your congregation may or may not know that in 722 B.C., uh, the northern on this kingdom day. of Israel no, yep, fell. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> on this day in 722, the northern kingdom of Israel fell into the hands of the Assyrians, mm-hmm. and um, and so that's that's kind of what the context is here. There was this split in the, of Israel into two halves: the northern and the southern kingdom. And, mm-hmm. and so that's the background. You can briefly touch on that with your people if you want. But uh, I mean, because these are all happening. These these passages are written in the context of different geopolitical events. So in verse five, when uh, Hosea says Assyria shall be their king. I mean, this is talk. This is this is not like symbolic. That actually happened. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah. the sword and all that stuff. Yeah, they shall return to the land of Egypt, and Assyria shall be their king. That is, it's happening within the context of history. So there are folks in the northern kingdom who are saying, "Oh, we'll find safety in Egypt." And mm-hmm. God's like, "Are you kidding?" And then also, you're going to, uh, but Assyria will be your king. So you're not going to find safety anywhere basically, yeah. except for in me. And uh, you will go into a form of slavery like you experienced in Egypt under yeah. Assyria. So, but so, um, yeah, this passage is about, uh, you know, going back, way, way back in the history of Israel, God promised the people of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, land, mm-hmm. um, uh, that they would be uh, huge in terms of population, and they'd have this land, and they'd be kind of a light to the nations. And um they never really got that together. They had lots of fits and starts and lots of ups, but many more downs. And so now the Northern Kingdom has uh, received the kind of punishment for what it, uh, for walking away from the Lord and it has been exiled. And the Southern uh-huh. Kingdom may fall too. And so you've got um, God um, speaking to Israel with these great terms of love. So you think about contextualizing this for your people. Many, many, many people can identify with the idea of wanting to do right by God, but not being able to, sort of falling away, starting to get better, then not, then, then backsliding. And, and so the picture that a lot of people have, if they're relating to God in that way, is that he's, he's mad at them and he's going to pounce on them or he's waiting to strike them and that God is going to show tough love to them. 
You know, he'll love you, but he cannot be mocked, which is true. Um, so don't make him mad. And here we have, you know, what I call this picture of God as a bad parent, um, in a sense that he's indulgent because he's so in love with his child. He doesn't do, um, he's not tough. He's not hard. And, and you, you have this dynamic. It shows so much of human experience. In verse two, this is the more I called them, the more they went away from me. So this is a parent, the more you lecture your child, the more they stick their fingers in their ear and refuse to listen. Um, and so mm. does God throw up his hands and give up? No, he, he, all he could think about is when they were a baby. You know, all he could think about That's is how right. uh, I, 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 I feel towards my people the way a parent does who lifts an infant to their cheek. I mean, such a beautiful image. You hold, when you hold little, yeah. when you held little Sophia or little Henry to your cheek and just there, or when I held my kids and I still remember my firstborn when she came out and held her and just, it's just this, it's this incredible bond, and God, that's the tenderness and affection that God has for us. And so I think it's important to keep that in mind. And, and even the idea in verse 8 of, um, of judgment, um, making Israel like Adma or Zeboiim, these villages that were wiped out with Sodom and Gomorrah, God says, my heart recoils within me. I can't. And, and what grows in God is mm-hmm. compassion, warm and tender. That's right. Uh, I think, uh, you know, in that, that Adma and Zeboiim is very important because they were wiped out with Sodom and Gomorrah, but it's an obscure reference because nobody remembers them. And he's like, yeah. how can I wipe you out where nobody will ever remember you? Because if I wipe you out, no one will remember. And um, you're absolutely right. This is, I mean, when I like think about this passage here, you see the holiness of God, but there his, um, his he's like remembering, like, Think about like the opening scenes of the opening credits of the Wonder Years. You know what I mean? Mm. He's looking back on his children as they're growing up, and that's kind of the idea. Looking back on like, like a, a happy time, although on a profound level, it's never existed. For the moment Israel came out of um, Egypt, they were a faithless people, and so this is God almost imputing something. Not almost. Mm-hmm. This is God imputing something to Israel that isn't there. Um, he is seeing what doesn't exist, and that is a a child whom he deeply, deeply loves, and. Um, mm. And that actually creates something, um, and that is, and so you see here that God is honoring both His His justice in this moment, but also you see His tender compassion, where this all meets in Jesus. You know, He's like, yeah. "I will not execute my fierce anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I I am God and no mortal, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath." And He in yeah. Jesus doesn't. Um, he right. is the one who was called up out of Egypt and, um, and uh, is the one true Ephraim who was destroyed on our behalf so that we might be those very children. That verse one, um, it's about when Israel was a child, I loved him and out of Egypt, I called my son. That's one of those examples in the Old Testament where you have sort of two levels of meaning going on here. Mm-hmm. Yes, this is about mm-hmm. Israel as a child who was in slavery in Egypt and called out. But this out of Egypt I have called my son is is also uh, widely in, in in for you know for the whole of Christian history. This has also been seen as a prophecy of um, of the Messiah. And so, of course, after Jesus is born, because of the threat of Herod, Jesus is, uh, and his family flee to Egypt um, and live likely in Alexandria, and then come back much later. So Jesus, as a boy, comes back to Nazareth. <laughs> From Egypt, and so this is this is one of those things where, to the original author, maybe or additional initial audience, wasn't seen as a messianic prophecy. Clearly, 
is and is uh, something that, you know, we see those two things happening, two I, levels of meaning at the same time. Absolutely. And this passage is about Jesus. And it is. And, you know, I mean, and it finds its meaning here towards the end of the text. Uh, you know, um, to the Most High they call, but he does not raise them up at all. But how can I give you up as Ephraim, and how can I hand you over, O Israel? Uh, the um, How can I make you like Adma, and how can I treat you like Zebulun? You know, thousands of people were crucified under the Romans, but there mm. is one that we remember, um, and that is because he is risen from the dead. And um, uh, uh, he does not destroy Ephraim, but the new Ephraim, but he raises him up from the dead. Um, and uh, this is the Holy One in our midst, who comes not in wrath, but comes in peace, and as he roars at your enemies, sin, death, and the devil like a mighty lion, um, we do indeed tremble, but then we come and we know him as a friend. And, uh, you know, and so when you're preaching the prophets, um, you really um, not only see the type that is in Israel represented here, but see the ultimate fulfilled type, which is Jesus in this passage. Yeah, and just I want to add a little P.S. here. This is a passage that because it's it's Old Testament, it's the Hebrew Scriptures, it mentions names and places that seem very distant and unfamiliar. Um, it can be one that's hard for your, for your congregation to get into or sort of understand what's going on. And I think it's important if you want to use Ephraim or use Assyria and Egypt as a type, I mean, these are... These ideas, if you interpret them metaphorically, still very much operate today for Christians. Egypt, for uh, the people of Israel, was always, because it was always very fertile with the Nile Delta and all that sort of stuff, Egypt was always the place when things got bad materially, mm -hmm. particularly in terms of food. You would always go down to Egypt, and you would then sort of sacrifice your commitment to God in order to get your material needs That's met. That's right. So, Egypt represents kind of materialism um, and those things that draw us and tempt us. Assyria, uh, it again, represents these are broad the very, yeah, but it represents the thing that terrifies you the most. Uh, and and there's kind of the idolatrous worship that's connected mm -hmm. up with Assyria. So you know, Assyria was this uh, empire, huge, powerful empire that uh, obviously conquered the Northern Kingdom. But there were people within the Northern Kingdom that kind of wanted that to happen because Assyria had cool gods, uh, mm -hmm. unlike this invisible, weird Yahweh that Israel worshipped. Assyria has, um, uh, you know, cool gods with cool ceremonies, mm -hmm. and uh, that's the incense and idols and stuff and bales that it's talking about in verse 2 here. So, kind of like different spiritual systems that promise to solve all of your problems, unlike this weird God that we ask you to follow and trust to be patient and God is not see. a vending machine. You can't get him to do what you want all the time. No. Yeah. And so the Assyrians, those are the systems of the world through power and through bargaining and through kind of uh, transactional stuff like buying basically enlightenment or buying prosperity, those sorts of things. Um, that's what Assyria represents. And those are those are two continual temptations for people today. And so this idea of either going to Egypt or going to Assyria, um, and yet God offers something different. And even though we continually run to those lures, those temptations, those places, God never abandons us and wants to bring us back. Uh, and as it says in verse 11, return, I will return to their homes, mm. that, that God will be with us and we will dwell with him and he with us. And that's very much pointing to Jesus Christ. So that's my long postscript yeah. on that. It one. was a little long, but I appreciate it. No, I'm Thank just you. kidding. Thank you. Uh, no, Thanks, but I Jake. do want to, I do want to build on that. And there's nothing wrong with going slightly a little long if you want to preach on the Old Testament. And actually, when you exposit these texts and lay them out just like you did, people love it. 
I mean, you know, yeah. um, it is for ignorance of my word that my people perish. And um, and uh, people are really, nobody's going to, when you're actually preaching and play, laying out the context, the historical context of the prophets and doing that well with meaning, no one's going to complain because it will actually hit them in a powerful way in the sense that they begin to realize that Israel's story is our story as well as Christians because we've been grafted onto this. So I, 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 I want to commend people to take a little time and figure out what these things mean as you've just kind of laid out beautifully. And, um, and Thanks, people sure. people will really appreciate it. And uh, and so but we see the tender mercy of God here in this very powerful passage and to uh, and Hosea actually calling the people of Israel to remember who they are. Uh, and um, and this is what St. Paul is doing powerfully in Colossians chapter three, verses one through eleven. That's right. Uh, and this is a verse that um, I think in certain sections of the church is used. Is, is a kind of a law-heavy verse and kind of a formula for sin management. There's a big part of the mm. church that wants to just help people um, turn Christianity into a sin management tool. And so they look at this, um, you know, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, set your mind on things that are above, not on things on earth. So you get sort of a approach to this passage. It's like, okay, so if I have bad thoughts, I need to just train my mind to have good thoughts. So I That's will right. sort of bounce my mind from the bad idea to the good idea and that's what this never is about. works and if i and if i can do that and maybe a way to do that if i just memorize more scripture that's setting my mind on things above and and i think that really i is simplifying uh and kind of dumbing down what paul is actually saying i mean hmm. he's saying you have died uh to to say that um I can just move my mind from bad thoughts to good thoughts. I mean, I was in the grocery store yesterday and saw that, no, I think CVS, there was like a magazine rack and it was, mm. you know, one of these self-help magazines with a picture of Dr. Oz or somebody like that on the front. And it was, you know, the kind of power of positive thinking uh, to transform mm. your mind and uh, the manifest miracles in your life through neurology yeah. and and it was just all this kind of stuff that's been around, you know, Jake, for uh, a long, long time in the church. This this idea that you can just uh, transform your mind through positive thinking or positive reinforcements or, you know, looking in the mirror, you're good enough, you're smart enough, gosh darn it, people like you. And that's how people see this, set your mind on things above. And it's not that. He's saying you have died. Uh, you, you, yeah. You're not even alive anymore to do this. Um, <laughs> He's just saying, remember what's actually true is that you are dead and uh, you are with Christ. And so when we talk about setting your mind on things above, it's not just like don't watch R-rated movies and don't listen to NWA or, gosh, Miley Cyrus's new album, which I cannot recommend. Uh, don't <laughs> instead instead only think of good and holy things and only only read, you know, Christian poetry and listen to Christian music or whatever. That's not right. what it's saying. It's. What's what things that are above means that's how God runs things. That's the kingdom of God. That's the gospel. That's God in his mercy while you were dead in your trespasses, God sent Jesus Christ. That's what it means to set your mind on things above. Remember that, not things on earth, which are systems of mm -hmm. law, systems of power, systems of judgment, systems of control, formulaic, pietistic approaches to the faith. Don't set your mind on things like that because that stuff will kill you. So mm -hmm. as you say, this is a passage that's about remembering who you are. Um, what is actually true, um, and uh, as opposed to thinking that you're alive and can make yourself better through your own efforts. Yeah, and and it's important to remember when you're preaching this to really emphasize the fact that right now your life is hidden with Christ and God. 
You know what mm. I mean? Uh, you you are even though even though in this age you may see fornication, impurity, passion, evil desires, greed. I don't have any of those problems, but um, and that's uh, just on you know, Tuesday. Uh, <laughs> so, but uh, um, but this this idea is is that right now you're not going to see it. This is why the gospel needs to be heard, and uh, and for those of you who are listening, this is why you know you need the gospel because we need to be reminded. And preachers, this is why you need to preach the gospel because your people can't see it because right now their life is hidden in God. You need to tell them who they already are in Jesus. And so, but when Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. So, uh, you know, don't, don't freak out. You are holy right now. This is the thing. And when you hear that word, you're, you're given the ability to set your mind on the things that are above. You know what I mean? And so, and then therefore, because you, um, because Christ has already been judged in your place, uh, these things like fornication, impurity, passion, evil desires, those things that I just do on Tuesday, that, uh, that can actually begin to be put away, you know, um, uh, and you begin to realize that uh, that's the way I may have once followed. And while it may still be showing up, my life is in Christ, you know, and so uh, we can get rid of those things. Um, uh, not because it makes God happy, but because your mind has already been set on Christ, and now for the sake of my neighbor. Yeah, and I think, you know, the the verse 6, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. In some sense, that's true, and there's a mercy in that. Like, if you continue in those things, um, there will be some jacked up stuff in your life that comes <laughs> yeah. from that. And um, and that's the grace of God. I mean, when you you if you find yourself like the prodigal son, feeding pigs and wishing you could eat their food, that's the wrath of God. And mm -hmm. the point of it is to get you to come back home. Mm -hmm. This is the loving Father that appears in the Hosea passage. You know that when He looks at you, He just remembers how cute you were as a baby and how much He loved you and still loves you and wants you to come home. So, you know, God's mercy sometimes is allowing us to feel the impact of these things that we do this is this is the wrath of god in a way that that he he hates things that destroy us he hates things uh that cause us to destroy others um and so it's appropriate this is not like angry god coming down the hallway with his footsteps thumping as you you're yeah. cowering in the corner <clears throat> of your room this is uh god's holy wrath against things that destroy the the, the creatures of god so and, uh, and 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 yeah, go ahead, Jake. Well, and the powerful thing here too is he says, you know, um, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and clothe yourself with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and according to the image of its creator. You know, th so this is this is an ongoing process of realizing that you are justified. I think one of the best mm. definitions of sanctification I've heard is the ongoing realization that you are justified when you come into contact with these dark corners on Tuesday of your life. And, mm -hmm. um, and this really, um, and this gospel that levels us all and raises us up, kills us all, or the law kills us all, but this, this word that kills and raises, um, it makes us all one. You know, there's now no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free. We're no longer measured to how much or how little anger or wrath or malice we have. But Christ is all and in all. It's all now about Jesus. Yeah, and I think it's good to remember, too, with verse 5, again, 
put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil. People can hear that and think, what that means is I have to stop doing all those things. Mm-hmm. And um, good luck. Yeah. I, I, think, I think put to death means come to a place where you realize that on your own, you cannot eradicate these things from your life. And so you kind of come to the end of yourself and you give up and, you, and that's where you die. Um, and, and Paul is trying to remind you that you're already dead and the Christian life is just to realize that you're dead and come to that place of giving up and, and um, honesty and dying to your illusions of your own piety or your own power or your own self-control. Um, and uh, and rem- again, set your mind on things that are above. And what does that mean? Set your mind on the gospel. Set your mind on the one who's died for you and forgiven your sins. Absolutely. Um, and, and remember that this putting to death uh, process is an ongoing process. It's not a one-time thing. It's the whole process of life, and that's why Paul uses this language of um, you, you, it, your new self is being renewed. It's an ongoing process. It's not again. You have you have your lifetime to do this. Absolutely. And and how does that manifest itself in a person's life, dying and rising uh, in this age as a Christian? Well, it manifests itself in confession and in absolution. And let me mm. tell you, preacher, you need to forgive your people and you need to give away the goods as freely as possible because that's how they're going to rise again, hearing that word of absolution. And for you, dear listener, this is how it comes to you. It Dying looks like, you know... Uh, most merciful God, I confess that I've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what I've done and by what I've left undone. I've not loved you with my whole heart or my neighbor as myself. I'm truly, truly sorry, and I humbly repent for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Yeah. Yeah, there it is. And that is when you begin to understand that Christ is all and in all, and he is the only thing that matters ultimately because he is the one who's died for you, and you have died in him. And so, uh, and because he has risen for you, you will rise in him. And uh, and that's what we begin to see what life is all about here in Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. Yeah, this is in a way is, is uh, someone coming to Jesus with a very earthly problem and Jesus reminding them to uh, set their mind on things above. Um, remember what's really true, what's really important, not this stuff that's down here in the weeds all the time. So a guy comes to Jesus with a, with an estate law question. Uh, Jesus, will you solve the uh, inheritance squabble that I'm having? Will you tell my brother, probably my older brother, to divide the family inheritance with me because I'm a younger brother and I get jack squat when mm-hmm. dad dies? So tell him to be fair and split it with me. This is a childhood squabble. This is the same thing that kids do when they're four and five years old about who got the biggest piece of cake. Mm. Um, whose turn is it to play with the Legos? I had it first. Um, so, uh, and this stuff still happens today. I can't oh, tell you yeah. how many families I know where an inheritance issue has, has forever broken a relationship between siblings. So, um, this is, uh, Jesus, solve my problem with this. Mm. And Jesus responds, uh, no, <laughs> it's it's not my thing, and he and he realizes that there's something else going on. You uh, complainer think that this is about fairness. What it's really about is greed, um, and uh, and Jesus reminds him, uh, uh, is if you think having more stuff will solve your problems and you're collecting all kinds of stuff, you have a very short um, time horizon. You're working with a very limited perspective. Yeah. Uh, because, um, you know, yeah, maybe you will live for 30 years, 40 years, 50 more years, but a certain, but the questions of eternal 
uh, destination and, and what's really where you, where you, your life is hidden with Christ in God, as, as St. Paul mm. said in Colossians. This is where we're going. This is, uh, that's our true home. Mm. Yet here we are running around thinking that the earth is our true home. And what really matters is getting to advanced auto parts to get the new, uh, uh, taillight for our, uh, minivan. And, uh, what matters is, uh, planning, um, you know, the different events for our lives and what we think matters is all this other stuff that we spend so much energy on appliances uh home decor uh kitchen renovations uh all these things and uh here jesus is saying mm, you got to get a bigger perspective uh, yeah. think about what's really true yeah i mean I, that is that is the point of the opening part of this uh of luke chapter 12 is that verse 13, um, is that Jesus is not your celestial band-aid. He has Mm. not come to, um, he's not come to, one, uh, fix fix the piddly things in your life. He's not your celestial genie. Um, But he has, uh, you know, uh, um, and nor has he actually come to be your arbitrator and judge. Uh, He has come to be your savior. Uh, And this Mm. is a very powerful point, too, that needs to be made when you're looking at this, is that Jesus has come to be your savior, and they've missed this point. Uh, They want him to be a new Moses. And he's like, you know, I'm not here to be the new Moses. I'm here to forgive you. I'm greater than Moses. I'm here to fulfill Moses and therefore forgive your sins so that you might receive not just a temporal inheritance, but an eternal inheritance of life everlasting. And then this begins to begin the lens by which we understand this parable. And remember, parables are not fables. They are earthly illustrations of heavenly truths. And so we have this guy, and he tears down, he has a great harvest, hey, who doesn't? And so he clears out the old barns and builds bigger ones and begins to store this stuff. And he's like, finally, I've finally done all this. Now I'll be happy. Now I can relax, eat, drink, and be merry. And God says, uh, 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 today you die. And, uh, yep. and you know, and... Uh, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? <laughs> Someone else's. So it is That's with right. those who store up treasures for themselves but are not rich toward God. And, uh, and you know, this is really about finding your life in Christ. Uh, this is about um, uh, being found in Christ. Um, I remember I have a perfect example of this. So when I first got out of college, my first job was a youth minister. So, you know, I was making the big bucks. And... Um, <laughs> I decided to buy a really, because I always wanted a cool car. And so this was my moment to do it. And so on my youth minister salary, so I bought um, a Nissan Altima that was aqua blue, had limo tint. It had a CD and a tape deck, which is what you did to show off to everybody. Do you... Do you know what cool means? Yeah. You said you wanted a cool car and then you said Nissan. So I got a little confused. (laughs) Was there a glitch? No, I'm just kidding. Does um, cool but, uh, mean uh, to you the same thing it means to me? Go, carry on. Go it ahead. It was the My limo apologies. tint that made it cool, Aaron, and the CD <laughs> tape deck. Okay. So anyway, yes. but I had this car and... What happened was, is so I had this, and I thought, now my life is going to be happy. You know what I mean? Now I've achieved this childhood dream. and But I found that it became a real burden. I was worried about the dings. I was worried about, uh, you know... Uh, the, the engine. I was worried about everything. And then I got married and uh, with Melina and I was worried about the like the mileage and I was worried about like, you know, the gas tank never being filled. And then we had a ding. And I, uh, I mean, I'm ashamed to admit it, but I think I spent $18,000 on that car. <laughs> 
And uh, when I sold it in Pittsburgh to move to New York City, we sold it for a cool five grand. And the truth <laughs> is, is that I, I never enjoyed it. And uh, this is the truth of, of things of the world, is that they are passing away. And, uh, and, that, um, and when you begin to understand that, that our life isn't found in the things that we buy, or then, yeah. but in Christ— you know the one. This is what's setting your mind on uh, on things that are above. What what how it manifests you in your life is that you're actually able to hold on to things in this world loosely. You're uh, you're able to let them go. And um, but when when you think you've earned it, and now I'm going to relax on my own dime, uh, that's when your life will be very called, and it's a sad life. Um, but yeah. but Christ, because we know that this is temporal, enables us to um, to live freely. And to live loosely, um, in the sense of holding on to things loosely. <laughs> Hold on loosely. Yeah. Is that a Anyways, song? It is, yeah. Don't mm. let go. No, that's great. Uh, if only we had R.J. Heyman here to sing it, he could do it, mm. do it better. Uh, the, yeah, I mean, I think that there's a freeing word here about there one's life does word. not consist in the abundance of possessions, because everything around you tells you that your life consists in the abundance of your possessions. The more you have, the better you have. I mean, uh, just I was in the in Planet Fitness the other day, uh, uh, working on my non-existent abs, and uh, you know they have like five thousand TVs in there, and they have these music videos playing all the time. I just had a new song, some single that's come out, and some people uh, rapping slash singing in front of an array of cars, you know, pink Ferraris and white Bentleys with the doors that open. Uh, that's every day uh, of my uh, life. Yeah, that's right, <laughs> and it's just like you know. Uh, there's this, that's a lie that that stuff matters. Um, and those guys don't own those cars. They rented them from some like fancy exotic rental place in California and used them for the music video. And I mean, it's just, all of it is fake and, and none of that stuff. And we know it will make us happy, but we sort of think it will. And we're Mm. like, well, I don't need a Lamborghini, but, but a Nissan Altima would be nice. Or, uh, the new mm. Ninja Blender would be nice, or whatever, mm. and all these things. It was just we just were recording right after Amazon Prime Day has ended, and uh, last night at eleven fifty nine, Amazon Prime Days ended, and all of America is suffering from a massive materialism hangover because everybody's bought stuff, mm-hmm. uh, and that yet they woke up today with the same anxieties that they've always had, and. So That's again, right. uh, Jesus Jesus is giving a word of law in a sense here, but it's a merciful word. Again, it's reminding you that your life does not consist of your possessions, and he's inviting you to see that there's something more out there. Um, and it's yeah. uh, being rich towards God, it's, and it's knowing it's God's richness law, towards you. It, yeah. It's a word of law that drives you to Christ and to understand That's that right. Christ is all and in all. And um, mm-hmm. and this is um, the daily process of dying and rising again. But indeed, that's where uh, sanctification is found as you're made into the image of Jesus. And uh, your justification will be found as you stand before that holy God, not in your own righteousness, but in Christ alone. And I think that's a good word for us Amen. to leave on. I think so. Uh, Aaron, take thanks, care. We'll Jake. talk to I you next you're... week. All right. Have a nice life. And uh, don't scratch your poison oak. It'll make it worse. Peace. Bye-bye. Somebody's looking. Somebody cares. Somebody wonders what you're doing today. You know we crucified him, buried him. But three days later, well, the stone got rolled away. And yes, Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. And we hope you found some nuggets that will be helpful either in your preaching or just in your life. 
If you liked what you heard, we would love it if you could leave a rating or review on iTunes. Dave's all will be sad if you don't. We'd like to thank the Narrativo Group for audio production. Keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.